Well, it's a great privilege to be able to stand in front of you and share the Word of God and preaching. It's also an interesting uh, challenge to uh, a team of pastors to be studying the same book and uh, working through it, and you'll, you'll get different perspectives. And I'm sure that if another pastor preached on this text, that you would get kind of a different slant. So you'll, you'll get the pastor of local outreach and congregational care counseling uh, slant on things as uh, I have poured over this text this week in preparation for today. I must tell you that listening to Pastor Felty's message last week and being reminded of some of the warnings about falling away, um, I sometimes get chills in my body to th- at the thought, <clears throat> at the potential, at the, at the reality that that we could, we could fall away. It's a, it's a sobering, sobering thought. And uh, I really, honestly, I wouldn't think that because day to day, I love the Lord, I walk with the Lord. Uh, the whole idea of teaching something that would be in opposition, deliberately teaching something that would be in opposition to this is, is so repulsive to me. And, and, and so, Taking that thought of, of um, the possibility of turning away, I, I kind of think, well, that, that's not going to happen to me. That can't happen to me. And yet, uh, what you heard last week from Acts chapter 20, remember, where Paul talked to the elders at the church of Ephesus, the elders at the church at Ephesus, and said, you know, from among your number, some will rise up and they will... They will start talking and they will talk uh, wrong doctrine and they will lead some of the flock astray. He was saying that the men that were faithful, the men that were discipled and mentored and trained by none other than the Apostle Paul had this potential of turning away. And that's a sobering, sobering thought. So the next question that I ask is, is how can I avoid this? Um, is it, am I capable or are you capable of turning away? Yes, we are. Now, I know what the Bible says. I know in Jude it says, now to him who is able to keep you from falling. And I understand that. And everything that I'm going to say today is really predicated on that reality that indeed God keeps us. I understand that. And yet, and yet, I know God keeps us, and yet, will you not agree that all around the ecclesiastical landscape, especially of this valley, but this country, that there are, there are the spiritual casualties of churches and, and whole denominations that once held to the truth and now no longer do. Something happened. Those same people... Uh, years and years ago would stand in a pulpit and they'd preach and they would preach the truth. But, but now those same pulpits are filled with people who do not. So the question that begs in my mind is, what, what am I going to do? How, how am I going to guard myself? Knowing that, yes, the Lord keeps us from falling and, and my f- total faith is in Him, not, not in me and not in perhaps your ability to keep yourself. But yet, there's, there's a part that we play, and I, and I want to talk about that today and talk to you. The title of my message is, A Good Servant of Christ Jesus, or A Good Servant of Jesus Christ. 
And uh, you could put it as, as a subtitle, How to Avoid Slipping Away, How to Avoid Falling Away. And the text then is the continuation of what we saw last Sunday in 1 Timothy chapter 4. So if you would go there, please. 1 Timothy chapter 4 and uh, verse 6. And I'm going to read the text to you. We're going to try to cover verses 6 to 10 today. And then the 12th of September, I'll be preaching again and I'll look at verses 11 and 12. Or if I don't get through 10, then I'll cover some of 10, 11 and 12 later on. All right, let me read the text to you though. This is 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 6. And it says, In pointing these things... To the brethren, meaning the things that were just shared, preached last week and uh, mentioned in verses 1 to 5 about those people falling away, teaching ridiculous doctrines, man-made rules, and so on. In pointing these things to the brethren, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, constantly nourished on the words of the faith and of the sound doctrine which you have been following, but have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. For bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things. Let me read that again. For bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things, since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance. For it is for this we labor and strive because we have fixed our hope on the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of believers. Now, I'm in this, I'm in this for the long haul. So I read this text about, you know, um, bodily exercise profits for only a little. And I want you to know, I don't think the Apostle Paul is saying that, ah, fooey on taking care of yourself. Do what you want because what really matters is only the spiritual side of life. And that's the whole, that's the whole false teaching uh, of that, that Timothy is fighting against, this whole dichotomy of the physical and the spiritual. There isn't a split. The two are together. And so, you know, your body is important. Taking care of it is important. Your body is not evil. And evil uh, matter is not evil. And so marriage is not evil. And, and all kinds of food are acceptable. Uh, but I will say I'm in this for the long haul. So I, I do take seriously trying to take care of myself because uh, I had a bout with a, a heart condition. And I don't have a choice about it. Okay, so I understand the importance of taking care of, of, our, of myself, or I'm, I'm, I should say I'm growing in my understanding of that and uh, trying to improve as I go and, and going to the gym. But I've come to learn, you know, looking at this passage, that if that's important, how much more, if that has some value, how much more valuable is this whole area of taking care of ourselves spiritually? So... We need to do that. We need to take care of ourselves spiritually because that's the most important part of life. And here's, here's what we do. Here's some two main ideas. It's not a complicated outline, okay? But just two main ideas on uh, finishing well, if, if that's what you'd like to call it, a good servant of Christ Jesus, finishing well, not, not turning aside, staying true. That's the general idea. Here's, here's the first main idea. It's in verse 6, and that is... We need the proper spiritual nourishment 
that fills our mind with truth. We need the proper spiritual nourishment that fills our mind with truth. You see, you and I need daily input from the scriptures. Why? Why do we need this daily? Why isn't it enough for, you know, once a week or uh, whenever I feel like it or whenever too much dust collects, you know, on the Bible? You know, why is it that the most worn book in my house ought to be the scriptures? A couple reasons. One is that the world around us, my own, our own sinful self, our flesh, and Satan daily challenge our commitment to simple devotion to Christ. So I'm going to need a daily rebuttal against those challenges that come against me and want to pull me away from devotion to Christ. And it's easy to drift, don't you think, into the world's values like, you know, true success is always measured in material uh, goods. But the Bible says that success is measured in our faithfulness to doing and living out the will of God. We, we, we remind ourselves of that as we daily get into the Word of God. We need daily input because, not just because the world and the, the flesh and the devil press in against us daily, but because also, who here doesn't, who here is going to say that I have exhausted Everything there is to know and think about in the scriptures. This book is inexhaustible. And so, you know, a daily reading of it is required because God has so much more for you and me to know about himself, about us, about our Savior, about living the Christian life. And we can go over the same text and learn even more. And so the book is inexhaustible. So it's worthy of a daily intake. Because also we need to be reminded of what we already know, but we fail to put into practice. You see, our knowledge base tends to exceed our obedience base. And so we, we, we don't just read the Word of God so that we know more, but also so that we're reminded of the things we already know that we need to put into practice and allow God to convict us and allow God to change us. And the daily worship and praise of God and the the prayerful study of the Word of God, meditating on His Word, promotes zeal for God. It, It prevents our walk with God from becoming mechanical and stale. When we spend time with God daily, we feed our soul and we get thrilled again with the truths of His love, His care. And then we go forward into the day with confidence. There are many, many casualties, spiritual casualties in the world today. And they could be avoided if, we would, if those who are the casualties would take the Word of God seriously every day and nourish their souls and fill their mind. Are you grieving today? Are you sad? Are you, are you struggling? Are you uh, in need of revival? You know what the Bible says in Psalm 119, verse 93? I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have revived me. We need that daily revival in our souls. And if we're going to prevent our own falling away, again, I know God keeps us, and we need to remind ourselves daily, and that's our, our confidence. God keeps us. But there are some things that we can do on, by God's grace to protect ourselves from falling. And one of those certainly is this proper spiritual nourishment. Like Joshua, 
Remember when Joshua was being put into to service after Moses? What did God say to Joshua? Uh, he, did he say, now I want you to pour over all your military strategies and I want you to think and meditate on all your next military moves? He said, I want you to go to the law. I want you to go to the book of God, my, my book, he said. And don't let this book of the law depart from your mouth, but meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. Oh, I'm sure Joshua went over his uh, military strategies. Don't, don't misunderstand, misunderstand. But I also know that he took God seriously, and he poured, him, he poured the Word of God, the law of God, into his heart daily. Now, what if I have questions, you know, about uh, this book? What, what if I don't understand everything? And what if, you know, if I'm a young person, I'm seeking and I'm, I'm wondering just, you know, what about this book? It's so old. And is it true? Well, there's an interesting word here in verse 6. I want you to see it. And Paul, you know, he says, I want you to be nourished, right? That's the, that's the nourishment that fills our mind. Nourished in the words of the faith and of the sound doctrine. Okay, that's the content which you have been following. Now, that's an interesting word. The word is also used in the first chapter of Luke, Luke chapter 1, verse 3, Luke's prologue to his gospel where he says that he wrote to a man named Theophilus and he said, I have made a careful, and the word is investigation. I have, in, I have investigated carefully all the, all the documents and all the, all the conversations and the interviews I had with the eyewitnesses that, I, that were with Jesus. He says, I have carefully investigated. Did you know that the word investigated is the same word here where Paul says the sound doctrine that you have been following. Now, think about that for a moment. In what kind of environment was Timothy raised? He was raised in what we would call a Christian home, right? He was raised in a home where the Word of God was taught. He says, you learn the faith from your, your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. It was passed on to him. But how did, how did the book, in, in his time he had the Old Testament, how did the book become his book, Timothy's book? And there's a tiny bit of a clue in that word follow. In that, in, in the idea of following is the sense of, I did a little looking into it. I did a little investigation. I thought about it. And it, and it was, it's not, and now for me, it's not just that it was good for my mother or my grandmother. I'm thankful for them. But now I've looked into it. I've considered how God has fulfilled prophecy, how he's confirmed his word. I see the reliability of the scriptures. And now I know it's true. I'm following this, you see. So it's the, the idea of investigation and following come together here. And it's Timothy who has been following it because he has first thought it through and he's made the book his book. I think we reduce the risk of falling away when we really have confidence in this book. And, you know, I know years ago there was a pastor, I forget his name, who had a real bad struggle with the whole, the whole Christian faith. And uh, he stepped aside for a while and he studied the whole issue of Christianity and the reliability of the Bible and just the, re- the resurrection. And you know what he found out when he, when, he, when he looked at the facts and all the data? 
He said, it's all true. And, and he came back into the ministry with a force and a fervor that he never had because now the book became his book. And he wrote a book, a little, a little booklet. Actually, you can get it. It's called Beyond Reasonable Doubt. And it's actually part of Evangelical Training Association's curriculum for theology. That they took this man's work and they said, this is going to be helpful to other people who are struggling about the book becoming their book. And again, the writing that this man wrote is beyond reasonable doubt. And so, we need proper nourishment that fills our mind with truth. And that's one of the best defenses against doctrinal area. But, uh, but part of this, new, this spiritual nutrition is also not only what you do take in uh, spiritually, but also what you reject, what you refuse to let into your mind. And that's verse 7. See, there's a bit of, there's some discernment needed in what we read and what we take in and what uh, books we, uh, we read. Verse 7 says, Have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. So the first part of verse 7 is this idea of discernment. And not only uh, is there a list of things that you ought to, uh, that ought to be on your reading list, but also there are some things that ought not to be. There are some things that you need to avoid. Now he uses the word have nothing to do with. It's a strong word. It means to reject. It means to beg off, to forsake. It means to excuse yourself. I don't, I don't think I need that. You know, it's the, it's the, I don't, I don't want this. I don't need it. I refuse it. In some ways we need to expose false doctrine, but not in a quarrelsome way, not in a, not in a way that, that disrespects people, but we need to expose false doctrine. We certainly need not to, to saturate ourselves with it. Second Timothy chapter two, verse 24 says that we ought to, a, a, a good uh, leader gently corrects those who, who are opposed false doc, opposed doctrine, good doctrine, and pray for repentance and for open eyes. So, your diet, your spiritual diet should not include spiritual junk food, in other words. And that is these things called worldly fables. Um, the word worldly, uh, you could also translate it something that's worthy uh, of walking on. It's uh, some places in New Testament or in Greek translated a threshold. That is, it's something that, you know, you walk on, profane. That's what these doctrines are that, that espouse man-made, man-made rules. They are worldly fables. Now, you know the word behind fables? The Greek word is what we would say myth, muthos, myth, profane myth. So the person who is going to stay close to the Lord and not turn away is going to be, are you ready for this? A myth buster, right? Because they're going to they're gonna see it and expose it and get rid of it. And they're, 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 they're not going to take time with it. Have nothing to do with worldly fables, profane or profane myths. Be a myth buster and get, get rid of it. These, are, these, these things are fit only uh, to be walked on. It's the, it's, the, it's the floor. That's the level of value for this. Now, he says something there that may strike you kind of funny or maybe even offensive. He says, things fit only for old women. Now, how does that strike you, ladies, some of you? Huh? 
How does that make you feel? What is he, what is he saying? Is he, is he disrespecting women who are older, who are up in years? No, I mean, if you look at the next chapter, you know that Paul has, has nothing but respect for uh, widows. He, he tells Timothy, you need to take care of widows. Uh, and that there are widows, uh, like uh, chapter 5, verse 5, who fix their hope on God and continue in entreaties and prayers night and day. And he's not talking about those kind of women. But look at the next verse. He says, but there are women who give themselves to wanton pleasure and they're dead even while they live. Now, that's the kind of person that Paul has in mind that would only be thinking of kind of foolishness, silly, trivial drivel that they try to foist on grandkids, you know, that they speak as though they're fact, but it's not really fact. He's saying, have nothing to do with that kind of stuff. If there was ever a need for discernment today, it is now when we have so much teaching going on through the media. You know, you get an hour here, right? You have an hour here, and then hopefully you stay for Sunday school. That's another hour. Let's see, half hour, and, um, or whatever. And then you're off to whatever. And then think about it. What do you get the rest of the week? Are you really going to depend on just this that you get in a, in a sermon and in a Sunday school lesson? Or is it, or are you going to, you're going to get it on your own, which means you're going to read. And what are you going to read? And you need to be discerning. And what are you going to listen to? What kind of religious programming are, are you going to follow? There's a lot of good out there. Don't misunderstand. A lot of good. But there's also a lot of people out there who uh, have an agenda and they're, and they're there to take you in. So spot the error. You know, fill your mind with the truth so you have a grid through which you can process things that you hear so that you can reject profane things, reject the godless myth, be a myth buster, and, and stick with the truth. So a good servant of Jesus Christ is one who feasts on a spiritual diet of good doctrine that fills the mind with truth and a good servant also rejects spiritual junk food, the worldly fables, the man-made teachings that are foisted on this world. Now, that's kind of the negative in a sense that, you know, reject that. And the positive, of course, is, is the truth that you put into your life. Now, Paul quickly moves to the next step in guarding ourselves and keeping ourselves in the faith, at least our part in all that. And he says this, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness and that's the second point so first we saturate our minds with truth and we reject the things that are that are false that they're profane and then we diligently discipline ourselves toward godliness give yourself in other words reject the false stuff and then verse second part of verse seven on the other hand give yourself discipline yourself uh, for the purpose of godliness so be discerning get rid of but then Pursue this. Pursue godliness. Now, godliness, it's a major theme in the uh, pastoral epistles. Uh, it's used 13 times, actually, in the pastoral epistles. And nine times of those 13 are in our book, First Timothy. So godliness is all throughout. We're, it, just to give you a sample here, we're to pray for civil authorities over us so that we can lead lives of godliness and dignity. Women who make a claim to godliness are to dress that way, he says in chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. 
Then he talks about the mystery of godliness in chapter 3, verse 16. Pastor Boone preached on that. The mystery of godliness, the, the, the revelation of Jesus Christ and his life, his death, his victorious resurrection, his ascension, the preaching of that message, the success of the mission. The people will believe all that about Jesus. That's the mystery of godliness, and that's what we focus on. We're going to say more about that in a little bit. There is the prophet of godliness. That's in our text here, that godliness is profitable for all things. And then some suppose, in, verse, in chapter 6, verse 5, some suppose that godliness is a means of financial gain. So don't be surprised that, that people who act very, very religious, have very, very ungodly motives. That they have a a godly kind of thin veneer, but underneath is nothing but greed and pride. And so don't be surprised at that, that somehow they, they think that godliness is a means of financial gain. So they'll tell you, you know, God wants you healthy, wealthy, and prosperous. And all you need to do is write your check to me. It's always to them. Uh, you know, why not others? But it's to them, to, you know, so they can have a sixth Rolls Royce or something. But, you know, there be, that some use, they think that godliness is a means of financial gain. And so watch out for the, the, some of the TV evangelists who shout, sweat, and want to swipe your money. But what does he mean by discipline? And what does he mean by godliness? What, what, what does that mean? Well, discipline comes from the word gymnasium. Okay? When you say the word gymnasium, you're actually... Almost pronouncing a Greek word, gymnazo. We get the word gymnasium and gymnastics from discipline. So obviously it's an athletic analogy that speaks of what? Exercise, right? Effort, sweat, energy use, right? Challenge, training, growth, change. All those, all those concepts are wrapped up in the idea of discipline. Now, it's interesting. Paul doesn't give a list of things that he says. Now, here's discipline, but we're going to talk about some ideas. I have some pastoral thoughts on that. So there's no specific list. He just commands Timothy to discipline himself for the purpose of godliness. So the next question that I would have is, what is godliness? It's an attitude of reverence and awe in the presence of majestic God that leads to true worship and devoted obedience to Him. See, a person who's godly has a high view of God and they've mixed the concepts of the fear of God and the love of God together and it bubbles out in, in this white-hot worship of Christ and then heartfelt, devoted obedience. It's like, I'm here to serve, Lord, what do you want me to do? That's the sense of yieldedness, submission, because of who you are. So it, it, it's generated by a high view of God, a high view of Christ, a, a clear understanding of the Trinity and of who God is. It takes us back to the mystery of godliness, right, in chapter 3, verse 16. But it leads to something. You become more and more like the one that you adore, the one you worship. 
So godliness is being godlike, being like God. Now, the same principle is at work in idolatry. Did you know that? Only the result is completely opposite. It leads to ungodliness. Psalm 115 verse 8 says, uh, it speaks about the person who is an idolater and it lists some of the qualities of an idol. It says an idol, ha- the, the, the God that you make has a mouth, but it can't speak. It has ears, but it can't hear. It has eyes, but it can't see. It has hands, but it can't feel. It has feet, but it can't ambulate. It can't walk. And, and it can't do anything. And we say, I, I know that. But then there's an, the next verse really, really slams you between the eyes. It says, Psalm 115, verse 8, those who make them will become like them. Powerless, useless, godless, all of that. See, that's what happens when we worship. We become like what we worship. And so if we focus and our... completely drawn into the worship of Christ where he, his beauty and his power and his glory and his majesty consume us, then that'll lead to really wonderful worship and heartfelt devotion and you will become more, the process of becoming like Jesus will take place. You'll grow to become more and more like Christ. So, Then the question is, what would lead to godliness? It's not necessarily all spelled out there, but what could I do? What what could lead to godliness? Is there does Paul leave us with a five step routine? You know, like when I go to the gym, I have a well, I had a routine. I kind of got off a little bit, okay. Being honest, all right? But I had this routine and it had a nice long list of exercises and I would go there and, you know, just do it, check them off, do it, check them off. Now, is that how we do with godliness? You know, here's five things, do it, check. I did this, did this. Oh, okay. Okay, God, bring the godliness. Is, is, is that how it works? Well, I don't, I don't think it quite works that way. Not that there aren't some things that, that we can do that maybe are regular and sort of routine, but, but it's not mechanical. The Holy Spirit empowers us to grow and become like Christ and more godly and more devoted to Him and more aware of His presence in our life and more aware of His love. So it, it starts with the, not our desire power, but the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit fills our heart with love for God and a desire to obey Him. The Holy Spirit leads us to a, a fuller worship of Christ. Um, and we worship Him. And, and, and so really, and you, when you boil it down, godliness is, is simply a pursuit of Christ. It's really a pursuit of God. It's, God, I want to know You. And I don't, want, I don't ever want to stray. I want to know You, and I want to finish well. <clears throat> now, you might think I'm preaching, but I'm praying. Everyone ought to pray that prayer. I want to finish well. So the Holy Spirit is the one He leads us into worship of Christ and meditation on the Scripture, that, that new, new, uh, uh, new, nutrients for our mind and our heart. And so these are not so much steps as much as a God-given longing for Him. That's the idea of godliness. Timothy, what's really, what's really driving you? you know, by the way, don't let false doctrine influence your life. 
But by all means, give yourself to godliness. Give yourself to pursuing this character quality of, of godliness. And, and by the way, that's really nothing more than pursuing Christ. How, how does it work? Well, here's a psalm. Psalm 119, verses 59 and 60. <clears throat> and the writer says this, I considered my ways and turned my feet to your testimonies. I hastened and did not delay to keep your commandments. Now that text sets the, the tone, I think, for godliness. Here's what happens. Because we're nourishing our hearts each day with the word of God, and we're longing to meditate on who Jesus is. We, we go back to uh, the mystery of godliness, chapter 3, verse 16, who was revealed in the flesh. You know, the incarnation of Christ, Christ becoming man, Christ taking in the nature of a servant, Christ going to the cross, substituting himself for us, dying for me, for what I did. You know, never losing the wonder of who Jesus is. That... Those things of pondering the scriptures and meditating on Christ, worshiping Christ, if that's a daily habit, you know what's going to happen among other things? One of the things that's going to happen is God will reveal to you the areas of your life that don't conform to Christ. He will, he'll show you the areas that do conform and you'll be encouraged and you'll, you'll, be, and you'll be thrilled. But you'll also begin to see as you look at the standard, the word of God and the, and the word, Jesus, you say, oh, there's something about the way I, I speak to people or, or something in my character. That just, it does, I know it doesn't fit. It, it, it displeases God. The Holy Spirit will reveal that to you. He will talk with you. And, and you'll begin to see the, the need to change. But here's where godliness or, or lack of it occurs. What you do next makes all the difference in the world. Will you excuse it? Will you give yourself a pass? Will you say, well, you know, you don't know how my upbringing was or will you, what will you, or will you own it? Will you own it? Will you take a hundred percent responsibility for who you are? You know, not, you know, if it's a marriage problem, you don't have to take a hundred percent responsibility for what somebody else did, but you take a hundred percent responsibility for who you are and what you did. Own up your part to it, right? See, a godliness or the lack of it occurs when we are willing to meet with God and see our need to change and then say, okay, God, I need to change. Now, now, you, need to, and now you need to apply the cross to all this. And this is just simple. It's doing what Jesus said in Luke 9, 23. If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. So deny our selfish desires. We crucify our sinful desires. And we follow Christ. Now, the Apostle Paul said the very same thing with different words in, in Ephesians 4, verses 22 and 23 and 24. He said that with reference to our former manner of life, we should put off the old, the old way. And then be renewed in the, in the spirit of your mind. That's the nutrition. That's the putting, always putting it in there. And then he says, and then put on the new, the, 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 the new life that's being renewed by God. Put off, put on, and be renewed in the middle, in your mind. It's the same idea. Deal with the old habit patterns, the old practices, the old ways of living by dying to them, by denying yourself. Listen, it took practice for you to develop your particular style of sinning. And it will take daily denial of selfish desires 
and practices to develop godliness. We put to death those old patterns. And we, we develop new patterns. Habits are wonderful things. They can work for us. They can work against us. But continually forming new habit patterns. It's not about just stopping. It's not about just denying and saying, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to do this anymore. But, but it's also doing something else. It's, it's putting in the godliness. The, it's putting in the right habits into our life by the power of the Holy Spirit. So we not only put to death the old patterns, but we say yes to Christ every day. And we do this on a regular basis, one by one. And we replace the old with the new. Now, this is where you apply this message. The people, the spiritual landscape is littered with spiritual casualties. In large part because when it came to the Spirit of God pointing out to them, to a person's life, where they needed to change, there was the Spirit of God was met with resistance. But if you will put your hands down, so to speak, or if, if anything, put your hands up and surrender. <laughs> Coming out with my hands up. <laughs> Admit, see, and say, Lord, there is an area in my life that is really not pleasing to you and it is not godly and i want you to deal with it you know i think we make change a little too complex now, this is coming from the pastor who like quarterbacks and 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 oversees the whole you know the counseling ministry to the members of our church okay all right so and i'm saying that sometimes we make it a little more complex than what it ne- what it needs to be and i mean it we, we have no idea of how much power God has to change us. If we will repent and we will admit, we will own up to things that, are, that we know are wrong and say, God, you got to deal with me. you got to change me. You know, uh, God says in the Psalms, Psalm 81, he said, Oh, if my people would just follow my ways, they would, they would follow my word. How quickly, he says, how quickly I would subdue their enemies. And I would satisfy you with the finest of things. We think we're going to miss out because, you know, if I don't do that or get to do that, you know, I won't have as much fun. God has joy and, and pleasure beyond our wildest dreams. He'll satisfy us. But he wants us to follow his ways. So the Spirit of God will put into, into your mind the things that he wants to deal with. And, and so and it's a positive thing. It's a wonderful thing. It's a merciful thing that God will... Show us these things. He'll, he'll point them out to us lovingly. He doesn't beat us over the head or badger us. I suppose that if we continue to resist, resist, and resist, that, you know, he uses, he uses more uh, stronger and stronger measures. That's called, you know, the discipline of the Lord. But God is a loving God. He wants us to change, and he works in us. And, and I, I want to finish well, and so do you. And so the, one of the keys to that is... Being willing to change when God says, here's an area that I've identified that needs to change. This is not right. And go to God and, and expose it for what it is and renounce it. And then be renewed in the, in the thinking of your mind and then put on a new habit, a new pattern. Your repentance will set off an avalanche of change. So don't hold on to your, your sin. You know, don't become a spiritual casualty in the landscape, the ecclesiastical landscape. Finish well by being 
and pursuing godliness and in a sense pursuing christ now as we as you can see uh we'll have to pick up verse 8 9 and 10 uh next time i preach and it follows it it all fits so there's there's a nice break but so now you know you you really you really need to do business with god so let's do that all right let's go to the lord let's talk with him about it and and say you know uh, you know god deal with me let's pray Father, we're your people. We thank you that you are a loving father and you deal with us with patience and kindness. And yet, Lord, you're firm. You, you want us to change. You want us to be more and more like your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so now, in this moment, Lord, identify an area in our life that will certainly hinder us in our walk with you. We want to change. So help us, God work in us keep us from excusing it denying it help us to own it and then lord help us to replace the old with the new give us new ways of living new patterns new habits may we be godly people lord we know that this is your plan to be good servants of jesus christ make it so we pray in the name of jesus amen